Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. Very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good afternoon uh, to Huang Hongxiang, who's been a regular on our show. Uh, for those of you new to our program, Hongxiang is the head of uh, China House in Nairobi, which is a social enterprise that focuses on helping Chinese uh, companies and individuals all better integrate into Africa. And we are thrilled to have you back on the show, Hongxiang. Thank you. Well, one of the reasons why we invited Hongxiang back is because uh, Hongxiang is, in addition to what he's doing in social enterprise, he's also got a journalism background. Uh, he was one of the fellows uh, at the Witts University China Africa Reporting Project. And during his time uh, at Witts, uh, which is where Cobus works as well, um, he did some reporting on Chinese and ivory. And ivory, of course, is going to be our topic today, in part because over the past few weeks, the internet, social media have exploded with anger and fury and frustration uh, over a report by the Environmental Investigation Agency. I think that's what it's called. Yes, the Environmental Investigation Agency based out of the UK who wrote a report called Vanishing Point, Criminality, Corruption and Devastation of Tanzania's Elephants. And Cobus, when I first kind of came across this report, I just went, oh, God, here we go again. And you know, as well as I do, just from our own Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project, that the vitriol and the frustration that people in the West have over this question of you know, Chinese poaching and, and the poaching industry as a whole and the illegal uh, transfer and shipments of, of ivory to, uh, to China and also the decimation of the, of the wildlife population just brings a no shortage of anger. But it also brings no shortage of simple accusations and very biased and one-sided and very unsophisticated kind of look at it. So when I kind of approached this report, I went, ugh, here we go again, just another kind of Western environmental group kind of lambasting the Chinese for what they're doing in Africa vis-a-vis -vis elephants and rhinos and wildlife. But the report was far more nuanced. So before we actually get into our discussion with Hong Xiang, can you just give us kind of an overview of the report and what your impressions were? I was also very impressed by the report. Um, it essentially takes the, the ivory trade from all the way from Tanzania to China um, with all the stops in between. Um, and it, it takes a, a, a very close look at, at the kinds, kinds of dysfunction um, in Tanzania that makes the ivory trade possible. And, you know, kind of and the fact that that makes it actually relatively easy to trade ivory in the sense that, um, that it's a very valuable commodity, um, which and there's very, very few prosecutions. Um, and so it, it starts unpacking from there, like why are there so few prosecutions, you know, kind of laying out reasons like, you know, levels of corruption in the Tanzanian government, you know, systemic dysfunction, criminal gangs and, and so on. And then it essentially takes the trade all the way, you know, via Southeast Asia, looking at the criminal, again, criminal syndicates that are involved and then takes it to China, um, you know, kind of and, and, and looks at... at you know, kind of how the ivory is um, arrives in China and the um, the situation in Hong Kong where where a lot of it arrives. It then goes into a lot of of detailed case studies. Um, you know, kind of highlighting different aspects of this. Um, then, what the, the the little detail, one one of the details from one of the case studies that really made everyone go nuts, 
um, was that the in a, in a, there was a big, there's a big ivory market in in um, Tanzania and. Um, they quote sources saying that when um, President China's President Xi Jinping visited um, in Tanzania earlier this year, um, his entourage bought so much ivory at the market that the price essentially doubled, and then all of that ivory was shipped out via Chinese official diplomatic bag. Yeah. So that was that. I think has been the major scandal. Okay, you know, and, that, that came and, out of and that's what we're going to get to with Hongqiang very quickly. But let me just kind of set this up a little bit more. Uh, they're very clear the EIA on where. The responsibility lies for the ivory trade in Tanzania. Uh, quote, and I'm going to read a couple pieces here so people have a little bit of the context. The responsibility lies at the highest levels of the Tanzanian government. When President Jakaya Kikwete assumed office in 2005, the country had about 142,000 elephants. By the time he steps down in late 2015, the population is likely to have plummeted to about 55,000. Quote, corruption is a key enabling factor at every stage of the ivory trafficking chain. And this is the last quote. The Wildlife Division has manifestly failed to carry out its duty to protect and conserve Tanzania's unique wildlife. Now, those are very interesting perspectives that they bring to this because that's not what we usually hear when we're talking about uh, the illegal ivory trade. Mostly it's focused on China. Sure enough, if you do a Google search for EIA ivory report, all you will see, page after page after page, is the reference that Kobus made to the Xi Jinping trip uh, from 2014. That by just, you know, and this is where we're going to get to Hongxiang, was not the only time that the EIA says the Chinese embassy, diplomatic officials, and even military officials uh, are guilty, allegedly guilty, of buying illegal ivory. They also quote that when the uh, Chinese naval task force uh, docked in Dar es Salaam, uh, in December 2013, that the price of ivory shot up on the black market, and they allegedly arrested somebody who was bringing 303 kilos of ivory to one of the ships, presumably to officers on board. They also accused the Chinese uh, embassy in Tanzania and diplomatic personnel of using their diplomatic cover to purchase ivory on the market, talking to uh, middlemen and buyers, they don't have any direct sourcing. This is all third-party information, and that's where I think, Hongxiang, you're going to come in and cast a slightly skeptical eye over this report. What was your reaction to the report? Well, so first, well, maybe first to give the audience a little bit of background. So last year, I spent three months in South Africa, Mozambique, and Namibia investigating ivory trade and royal home trade as well as the Chinese connection. And I still keep doing so from that with some like environmental investigation organization. So I say I would say I'm one of the Chinese journalists that is actually most familiar with what's going on on the ground. So based on my experience, first I would say the intention of EIA I think is good. I think what EIA really want to say from this report is we need to have harder effort and we need to build a strong international alliance to address this difficult problem. While after some Western media report, the attention of the readers kind of a little bit is shifted to simply blaming the China. But I would say EIA they has very good report in doing this in, in doing this investigation. And about the diplomatic things that is most concerned so far by well by the all the international communities, I would like to say several things. The first thing is. So first, there is a fact 
no matter in Africa, in China, in Western countries, they are both good people trying to conserve the elephants, and they are both criminals. So this is the same in, 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 in the whole global world. Second thing is, I would say, all governments, they all have their intention in trying to conserve the elephants, including African government and Chinese government. However, some of the approach in some country and some of the problems in some country could have been better addressed, which would make the situation better. And then about the diplomatic channel. So based on my research, I have heard rumors about the diplomatic channel as well. But the first thing I would find is very difficult to collect solid evidence, especially, well, when I talk to a lot of the local ivory smugglers and so on, they would easily link you to the Chinese government as long as you are Chinese. That's why like the Senpai in Angola, like written by the FT, like the Financial Times, Senpai is just a normal businessman, but all the people in Angola thought he is a delegate from the Chinese government. So with this kind of like communication gap existing, I would find it very difficult to have solid evidence about like what's going on or whether it really exists with the diplomatic channel. And the second thing I would say is even though there may be some Chinese government officials involved with uh, buying ivory and so on. The number of that in the whole ivory trade is actually very small, even comparing to the, the people buying like souvenir type of, of ivory. And much okay, smaller Shang, than those... Sorry to... Sorry to interrupt yes, you. Yes. I mean, I, you know, kind of, I grant that the number of officials are small, but don't you think that that the very fact that that Chinese government officials are involved at all, and especially that the, the diplomatic channels might be used um, for smuggling, that itself is a, a very serious allegation, especially because the Chinese government over the last year or so has been trying to to show a lot more concern about the problem. Um, so don't you think that, that you know, that, that even if only one official is, the, you know, the is actually involved, the symbolism of it is so heavy? Well, I would definitely say if one, even one of them is involved, this is a serious problem. And this is what Chinese government should devote some effort and trying to find out. And if they are, they should try to catch it. But on the other hand, I would say it's like, well, ideally, government, they are supposed to be managing the people and they themselves are supposed to be very functioning very well. But the fact is, no matter U.S., African, you all have some problems, some people inside the government that is doing bad things. So I would say if that exists, it's totally possible. But what we should be careful is we need to differentiate personal behavior and government behavior. Yeah, but th- but that's not really a fair because these people represent mm-hmm. the Chinese government. And if this if these allegations are in fact true, their personal behavior becomes official behavior. There's just no you cannot separate the two when you've got diplomatic, military and political representatives of a foreign country in another country. So, in some ways, I mean, you're speaking in very moderate tone. You're speaking in very kind mm-hmm. of guarded language, diplomatic language if you will. When in fact, if these allegations are are true, um, they represent, I guess, going back to to Kobus's point, the awful symbolism that really shows that the Chinese government isn't serious at all about protecting wildlife. Because if they're not telling their own diplomats, it's kind of like American diplomats going to Colombia and buying bags of cocaine and bringing them back, which may have happened. I'm sure it's probably happened at some point. But you know, the symbolism of it all, when we're fighting a war on drugs and people are dying all over the place, just looks really bad. 
And it undermines the political well, authority of the president who says, no, 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 we're, we're against drugs. Well, here we have Li Keqiang, your own prime minister, saying they are against the illegal poaching of, of elephants. But on the, on the other hand, if there's allegations that your own diplomats, and I say you in a metaphorical you, uh, are engaging in this trade, well, then it undermines anything that Prime Minister Li said. Of course. I, I definitely agree with that, actually. But I would say there's a very supposed thing people need to be careful about. So first, I would say what I'm going to say here is I, I only get it from like rumors and information. So I also don't have any solid evidence. But based on what my limited understanding, usually what happens is like this. In a Chinese diplomatic train or this military ship, uh, no, actually, the military ship is a different situation. So with the diplomatic plane, usually what will happen is a lot of the Chinese businessmen and a lot of the small officials, they will get the opportunity to join the diplomatic plane to go. And those people are usually the people who take advantage of being on the diplomatic chain, uh, plane and doing so. So it's still a little bit different. So you have someone inside the, de- the delegation doing something bad, or you have really, for example, your ambassador, or like your your your, your chief representative of the delegation doing something bad. It's still there's slightly difference, but definitely I would say if that is true, it's still a fact of like the management could have been improved. Okay, well, let me give the response from uh, the Tanzanian mm-hmm. government. So Tanzania's foreign mm-hmm. minister, Bernard Membe, he went before parliament, and here's some of the quotes that he had to say. He said, quote, These are mere fabrications. It is obvious that perpetrators of these allegations are people who do not wish to see our country attain development. The false reports were made out of jealousy over Tanzania's relationship with China. I mean, that's just the biggest pile of BS that I've ever... I mean, like the Environmental Investigation Agency is jealous over Tanzania's relationship with China. I mean, it's just... It's moronic. I mean... Okay, let's get, let's get one more quote here. Uh, quote, he says, It is easy to see how cooked up the report is because saying that the Chinese president's plane was used to carry tusks is illogical. Such craft are usually heavily guarded and surrounded by hundreds of people leaving no room for any foul play. Well, Cobus is, I mean, again, just the stupidity of it all is just mind-boggling. <laughs> because, of course, you can bring in, you know, as, as, as Hong Xiang mentioned, the delegation can, can pack, you know, anything they want in their suitcases and no yeah. one's going to stop them because either yeah. they have diplomatic immunity, either it will be a severe violation of protocol, or you know what? Who's going to mess with, you know, these people? It's just, you know, can you imagine? Yeah, they, they just get swept through customs. Yeah, you know, it's, kind of, so this, it's not... But so yeah. this is what makes me cry for the elephants because it's so cynical. I mean, what he's saying is totally cynical because that cannot be what he believes. And I just, you know, oh, it's, yeah. just, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah. Well, kind of, hold, about, hold on, hold on, Hong Xiang. Let, let me get to Kobus's response and then we'll get to you. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, both in the case of Tanzania and China, um, here I'm kind of reminded of this this old adage of 
of marketing, you know, kind of because I've been reading a lot of just for my own work, I've been reading a lot of place branding, you know, kind of literature over the over the last while, and and it's it's much much harder to disprove ideas that people think they have about you than it is to plant new ideas, you know. Um, so if people think that that a country like China is inherently corrupt, that they don't care about wildlife, it's much harder to disprove that than you know, kind of than than to plant some kind of new idea about China. So you know, kind of, and I think this report really confirms established ideas both about Africa and about China, um, and that I think is makes it so, so depressing to read. You yeah, know, kind of I because mean. you know you can read a billion reports of, from both both of those countries insisting that they that they want to preserve elephants, and you won't believe any of it because of this you know because of this one incident or a series of you know there's a kind of uh, revelation of the system that exists that everyone knew existed. Well, already. that that is clearly what the international media picked up on. They missed everything in this report except page 22, that little feature box on the Xi Jinping tour. Um, I mean, it's really, it's just, it, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very frustrating. But, you know, I mean, if, if I were, if I were an editor, I would go, I would, would run with that so. headline I mean, as well. I, mean, I guess that, so, you know, but... It's, yeah, it's the most important detail. But let's. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's the most important detail. I would say context is also Maybe very it's important. Very extremely revealing yeah, detail. And, but it's also the sexiest detail in all of this. But um, mm-hmm. Hongxiang, let, let's kind of you know look forward now. Do you get the sense? And this is something that Kobus and I talk about all of the time. You know, if 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 you know you here you are on the front lines working with Chinese companies, and hopefully one day you will have an audience with you know Chairman Xi and Prime Minister Li himself themselves, and be able to tell them what's going on on the front lines in Africa with Chinese companies. Can you imagine if the Chinese actually took some meaningful steps to curtail the ivory trade? I mean, we're talking about real customs enforcement. The same way that the Chinese government has gone after pornography in China, they've gone after drugs, they've gone after a number of campaigns that they've been very effective on. So we know that domestically the Chinese have the ability to crack down on certain illicit trades if they choose to. And what I'm thinking is that if you ever had an audience with these men and were able to communicate to them the benefit that they would gain by outlawing the sale of ivory in China and really cracking down on it the same way that they cracked down on other illicit campaigns, what they would reap in terms of a public diplomacy dividend? Well, actually, about this, I want to say, so first, I do not, I do, I do agree with Cobas. I don't think, like, no matter which government, like, government tend to be very defensive and what their response may not be good. But on the other hand, I do think, I do think people should not mimic like that. The Chinese, even the Chinese company people, all the Chinese businessmen here, all the Chinese normal people, a lot of them, they are against ivory trade as well. Even right here in Kenya, I know the Chinese Business Association and so on, they even organize some internal meetings and to discuss these problems. And they are very upset as well. They are upset that why some Chinese keep doing those kind of stupid things for their own benefit and destroy the country's image. So, and you see, as... As we, a lot of young Chinese here in Africa or in China, we are very against ivory trade, and we are trying to do a lot of things as well. So I do not think we can we can simply say like, oh, China, they don't care about ivory. That's okay. not true at Th- all. That is a fair point, and that is where the hope is here: is that the, your generation 
uh, is going to have an effect. My only concern is that those statistics, let me bring up that statistic again for Kikwete, since he came into office from 2005, there were 142,000 elephants, and by next year, when he leaves office, there will be about a third. And I just wonder if the elephants are in a race against time, and will your generation move fast enough in time to save the elephants? Kobus, again, every time we come to this issue, it just is so depressing, because I'm one of these people that feels there's no hope. I tell my son, I don't think, he's five years old today, I don't think he's going to see a real wild elephant in his life. They're not, they're yeah. going to be gone. And, and I think, um, I mean, I read this report and you just want to cry. Yeah, no, you know, exactly. Um, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I agree with you that part of the important conclusions of this report were missed in, in the international press because they focus so much on, on the, the, the she tour angle. Um, and I think the most important one is this really kind of point by point, you know, um, re- revelations about how dysfunctional the Tanzanian system is. Um, and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of you, as, as you said, kind of young Chinese need to take this forward, but young Africans need to really take this forward, you know. Um, and the problem, I think, in Africa is that, you know, you know, this system isn't the only dysfunctional one. You know, that's that's the the, the kind of tragedy of of life in Africa is that all these systems are dysfunctional. So it's like, yeah, the, the you know, kind of the the dysfunction in the system and criminality in the system is leading to to the the kind of wiping out of the elephants. Well, the elephants need to take a number because they're sitting in a queue behind you know, kind of dysfunctional healthcare and, you know, kind of pollution that's out of control and city systems that are falling apart. And, you know, and, and that I think is, is is the reality of why this isn't getting more attention in Africa and why it's easy for Africans to actually, to, to just simply blame China because the, the, the alternative is this much harder kind of reckoning with why systems in Africa are so crappy. Um, you know, kind of, and that I think is, is, a, is a very difficult thing to deal with. Well, the report is called Vanishing Point, Criminality, Corruption and Devastation of Tanzania's Elephants, uh, written by the UK-based Environmental Investigation Agency. Both Cobus and I recommend this as required reading for anybody interested in the ivory debate, and in part because it goes beyond the he said, she said. It really shows the complexity of it and the corruption and dysfunction and cynicism on all sides of this issue. Uh, and I think it's just really, it, it's just tragic. But no one knows this better on the front lines than Huang Hongxiang. And Hongxiang, we're just so grateful that you were able to join us. Uh, listen, if people want to follow what you're doing at China House in Nairobi, because it's an absolutely fascinating project on what you're doing to try and integrate and facilitate communication between Chinese companies and Chinese individuals and Kenyan society and in East African com- communities, uh, where can people look you up and find out more information? Well, people can look at the website, www.chinagoingout.org, or they can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn. They can also find China House Kenya on Facebook as well. And you, you've mentioned that you're going to start doing some fundraising for possible venture campaigns and venture capital. Tell us a little bit about that and what your plans are. Well, essentially, China House, the idea is to build a social enterprise to offer a platform for the Chinese and Africans to better cooperate and improve the sustainability of Chinese investment here. And we have been running for half a year, and now we are at the point of we need to raise some funds so that we can improve our capacity and our professionality 
to keep the project going. So that's in our plan so far. Hey, Kobus, do you remember, uh, I think it was last year or maybe earlier this year, we had a student from Southern California on who was doing a film. And we kind of plugged her fundraising, her Indiegogo project. And it actually helped. I mean, I was, I was blown away. It helped. <laughs> So, I know, can you believe it? Our listeners are very loyal and, and actually contributed money to her project. She was going to do a documentary in, oh, I'm sorry, no, no, no. This was a documentary filmmaker in New York uh, at the NYU School of Law. And she was going to do a documentary in southern China on the African community in Guangzhou. And we helped her go over the top in her fundraising goals. So, Hongxiang, when you are ready, when your page is up, Let's have you back on the show and let's talk about what you're doing and see if our community is interested in helping and maybe contributing and helping support what you're doing in Nairobi. Wow, that would be great. So when I finalize the 2.0 upgrade program of China House, I will let you guys know. That would be fantastic. And it would be great if people contribute together to the construction of the first Chinese social enterprise in Africa. That would be awesome. In so many ways is the ideal of people-to-people contact that really facilitates a positive interaction. You know, Kobus, you and I talk about every day all of the crap that goes on between the Chinese and Africans that's negative, that's cynical, that's just depressing in many ways. And yet here we have something that's truly positive, and that's something that's exciting. Exactly. So, yes. Hey, Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing these days and what you're reading and writing, what's the best way for them to stay in touch? I'm on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And we are fast closing in on a quarter of a million people on our Facebook page, uh, which is just truly remarkable. And we're just so thrilled that everybody's coming every single day to join the discussion on Chinese and African relations. We're posting topics throughout the day, almost 18 hours a day, actually, between Kobus in South Africa. I'm over here in Asia. So we've got the sun covered in terms of uh, time zones. Uh, we'd love for you to join us once again, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, of course, if you'd like to follow this podcast, there are so many ways you can do it. Uh, go out onto iTunes, just look for China Africa Project. Uh, we'll come up there and search. You can also download our apps on Android and iOS, and you can listen to the show there. SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we're on the BlackBerry Network in South Africa. We'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 